Hello and welcome to Ocean Love. I'm your host, Cassia Elizabeth Jayani, and Ocean Love is a series where we platform ocean champions and their efforts around the world to empower all of us to take ocean action and to share our ocean love in the ways that we can. I am so excited to share this next conversation with you that we had with Tez Steinberg, who, in addition to being a dear friend, is just truly an incredible ocean champion. He is rowing across the ocean solo. He's begun this trip across the Pacific from California to Hawaii and is now about to continue from Hawaii to Australia without a support vessel in the mission of raising awareness, gathering data, raising funds for ocean conservation. And beyond this broader mission, his own personal journey is truly powerful, brave, and inspiring. Enjoy. Well, to start off, Tez, I'd love to just ask you to introduce yourself and anything you want to share about your ocean love, given the theme of our series. Thanks, Cassia. So stoked to be here. My name is Tez Steinberg. I live in Nederland, Colorado at 8,500 feet, very far from the ocean. And I'm not someone who grew up by the ocean or had a strong relationship to it. But in 2020, I rode a boat from California to Hawaii. 2,700 miles all alone for 71 days. And it was that experience, being alone on the ocean for 10 weeks, that really gave me my ocean love. And I'm excited to share some of those stories with you today. Mm, that, that is incredible. Um, and I know that you may not have grown up near the ocean, but is there anything you want to share kind of early on about your connection to nature? I know you've been an endurance athlete too, so really challenging yourself, pushing yourself. But within an immersion in nature. So I don't know if there's anything you want to share about that. It's funny how things can make sense in hindsight. Yeah. Right. You can piece together your life and you're like, oh, well, I see how I landed here. Could have never (laughs) planned to get here, but I see how it led me here. Right. So I'm the the youngest of three and my parents split up when I was um, 10 and my older siblings both moved out and I spent, I ended up spending a great deal of time alone Mm. in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. And I spent a lot of that time just wandering the woods Mm. behind my house and being comfortable in nature with myself. Mm. And as years went on, I still had that relationship, but life took me around the world for school and work and so forth. And it was while I was at undergrad at McAllister College living in Minnesota, I was going through a period of depression And part of that was around environment. Part of that is around social justice and especially living in Minnesota where there is an amazing uh, community and heritage of native culture of Dakota, Lakota, Nakota culture. And that was the first time I encountered that Mm -hmm. and was thinking about what is my role in inheriting this colonialist legacy studying on stolen land when there are people who still claim this is theirs. And so it was things like that that sent me into a depression and it was endurance sports that helped get me out of it, starting with triathlons and then ultra marathons. And at the same time, I realized that doing these races not only helped me feel better, but I also realized I could use them to raise funds for causes that matter. And I, my first Ironman, I raised funds for the Minneapolis American Indian Center and led a canoe trip down the Missouri River, taking Dakota youth on the reverse route of their exile from Minnesota under their own power by traditional means on the canoe. And so seeing how to merge this passion, like how can I be active in my body, explore nature and do it in a way that's of service to others 
Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, and, and then just that sort of snowballed uh, in a yeah. very big way into where I am today. That is so powerful. I actually haven't heard that from you before. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And actually, my next question was going to be, you know, how how then the inspiration came to decide to row across the Pacific. This is not like an easy or obvious undertaking. It seems like a pretty big jump, you know, having just had that experience on land and then even in rivers. But to take this leap, you know, perhaps without even sailing experience and minimal rowing experience and really jumping into that. And so, um, yeah, just curious where where did this idea come from? I love how you've already shared your passion for dedicating these large challenges to, to be in service of others. And so I know that was also uniquely true for the United World Challenge for this first leg. Um, so yeah, curious if you want to share anything there and yeah, and how it all kind of manifested. Of course. Yeah. There are moments in life when we get the opportunity to reflect and think about where we are. Yeah. And one of those moments is when someone we love dies. Yeah. And so in 2016, I was studying in London, getting my MBA at London Business School, and my father suddenly died, and he actually took his life. And even though he died by choice, it made me reflect on my own mortality and what I wanted to do with my life. And in that same period, when a few months after he died, I came across ocean rowing. Mm. The idea of getting in a boat with others or by yourself and rowing across an ocean. Mm-hmm. With no support boat, just what you have on board and your own resilience and creativity to fix shit when it breaks. Wow, yeah. And immediately I knew uh, I need to row across an ocean and I'm going to do it alone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it alone in part to process this loss of my father um, and to just further deepen my relationship with myself and see what it's like to spend that much time with myself. Mm. And I also trusted that over the course of fulfilling that mission that I could turn this expedition into something much bigger than processing my father's passing and much something much bigger than just an experience for myself. Mm. And so with that, I decided to found the United World Challenge, a nonprofit, and dedicated that first row, which was from California to Hawaii, dedicated that to raising scholarship funds to a school that changed my life, Mm. a school called United World College, takes students from all over the world, gives them full scholarships, so they can create a peaceful and sustainable future. I was lucky enough to go to one of these schools in Italy and wanted to give that experience to new students. So founded United World Challenge and, and um, had no business rowing across an ocean effectively, right? I was not a sailor, was not a rower. I had never even been to sea. Uh, but the journey of doing endurance sports for the prior 10, 12 years had taught me the skills I needed. Right? How to take something really big and break it down into manageable tasks. How to take something that feels impossible, like crossing an ocean, and break it down into one hour, one moment at a time. And those, those same skills apply across practices and disciplines. And so I just threw myself in the deep end and trusted I would figure it out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And I mean, just what a, what a beautiful offering, too, to kind of transmute that grief about your father and that personal processing for you which which I, is so significant in your own journey and then bringing this in for so many other people and and yeah just widening that that field um it's so brave it's incredibly incredibly brave and, uh, and powerful um and i know you shared a little bit about the united world challenge and the um 
commitment to students and to youth and education and how beautiful that was your experience too that you're passing on um is there anything you want to share too just about how this then started to spark your ocean love or ocean action and how you were like weaving that in of course yeah when i was on the ocean that first crossing there were several different aspects to the relationship i had with the ocean at first it was kind of like a <laughs> At first, it was like, fuck you, Ocean. <laughs> yeah. This sucks. This is awful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I ended up with just three days of training when I got in my boat because of COVID lockdowns, right? So I had built, mm. I had hired a team, an all-woman team in Washington State to build mm. a boat from scratch. And they did an amazing job, but they were finishing it just as, as COVID lockdowns were sweeping across the country. Wow. And so yeah. when they finished, I had just enough time to get out to Washington, grab the boat, tow it down to California and push off or delay for another year when mm. the weather window opens up again. Mm. So I said, I'm going to roll the dice and go for it. And the first day was fucking incredible. Rode out of Monterey Bay. There's humpback whales leaping out of the water oh. as far as I can see in every direction what? from when the sun came up till the sun went down. Four of these whales, two mom and calves came and circled the boat right next to me like could almost touch them they were oh so close goodness. it was absolutely incredible super pods of a thousand dolphins racing underneath me Gorgeous. and it was this royal escort out into the ocean but yeah. as they left at the end of the day mm. i had this sinking feeling like the ocean just showed me what i can experience if i'm willing to stick in for the ride because i'm going to be mm. tested it gave me a taste and i knew a test was going to come soon mm. so that was day one by day three, there was a hurricane about a thousand miles away that whipped up wind and waves, and I lost control of the boat. Mm. I deployed a pair anchor that stabilized the boat, but I couldn't row. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, influence what was happening, and I spent day three through seven strapped down to a bunk inside my boat's cabin with a helmet on my head, oh my gosh. bouncing around in the waves just waiting. And this yeah. whole time, I'm like, fuck this this is awful why am i here this right. was the worst idea the worst idea i've ever had i have no oh, business dude. doing this i'm a failure i'm an embarrassment there's no way i'm gonna pull this off like everybody who supported me is like i'm just setting them up for disappointment um and i had to really talk myself down from a cliff and start taking things just one moment at a time hmm. uh it seemed at that point impossible that i would ever reach hawaii and was humiliating and defeating to even think about getting there yeah. But if I could just take things one moment at a time, I found that in that moment, I could take one more oar stroke mm. when the weather calmed down and not focus on how far I went, but just focus on what I witnessed around me. Mm -hmm. And those small details, the curve of a wave where I could see the turquoise stream through or the ripples mm -hmm. of the water, the surface, a mola mola sunfish mm. that came and swam beside wow. me. All these, all these little moments that were just so magical and... As I focused on those, I wanted to stay out at least another day to see more of those moments. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the next several weeks, I started to get the hang of things and over time fell in love with the ocean. So many more mm. indescribably beautiful experiences I had with the ocean. And after 71 days, when I finally stepped off my boat, I didn't want it to end. Yeah, I went from wishing I was anywhere else at the start of the expedition, mm -hmm. waking up in the morning and literally crying because I was so terrified and wishing I was somewhere else. To the end, when I tied up to the dock in Oahu, I literally hesitated to step off the boat. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh shit, dude! It, it is over. Okay, you, you got to get off. You got to no. get off. But what that what that did is it planted this seed of an idea inside me that the United World Challenge isn't over. Yeah, it's just getting started. Hmm. And so I'm very excited that in just a a few weeks I'll be embarking on the United World Challenge Expedition Two, which is focused specifically on ocean conservation. Hmm. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> What what a journey. And I think I've heard I've heard some of your really beautiful stories about this time, too, and just feeling so much a, a part of the ocean and like ultimately the ocean had your back at certain times, even though she had shown you really, um, really challenging moments <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about that? I think it's really important. We recognize that we're a part of this system that, you know, we we are of this earth, this ocean. Absolutely. And I really felt that since I was drinking the ocean every day. Yeah. Right. I was desalinating the ocean and drinking the ocean. And so after a month or so, I was like, how much of me is ocean now? <laughs> and um, yeah. when I caught a fish out of the out of the ocean and uh, just ate it raw. Mm, right. Whoa. This thing that came from that water, everything it ate came from that water how is the fish not also just water like it starts messing with my head i'm like Whoa. wait a minute <laughs> we're all just water i don't know how this boat exists it seems really solid but it's probably also just water <laughs> and by the time i got to hawaii i, I was like and most people expect you see land and it's like oh my god land and i looked right. at it and i was like it's just in the way of the water <laughs> Like, what is it doing here? The water and Who waves. Put been, these wa Who put this here? Waves have been traveling for thousands of miles. Nothing in their way. And then they run into this pile of rocks. Like, I would be pissed, too, if something like that was in my way and I'm a wave. And so, like, you feel like waves are washing ashore. They're angry. Yeah. They're, like, washing away the rocks mm. in the sand. Like, of course they are. This land is, like, in my way. And so I was like, huh, really, really get it. Yeah. But as far as, you know, the one thing that really stuck out to me and I think is most relevant for our own human experience is the leadership example that I see in water, in the ocean specifically. Mm. In that first part of the row, the ocean was relentless. Mm. It was demanding. Mm -hmm. It was fierce. It was overwhelming. Yeah. At other times... I saw how generous the ocean is, mm. how the ocean is producing all of this food mm -hmm. for us around the world. It's producing all of this oxygen that we yeah. breathe. It's providing us with beauty, with meaning, with economic value, mm. with, with ecological value. It's incredibly generous and supportive. And that paradox of both being relentlessly demanding of your greatness mm. and 100% 100 generous to support you in achieving and being in your own greatness mm. that duality to me is this beautiful model for leadership mm. how to support others and settle for nothing less than their best and that's what i felt that the ocean is as an example for all of us and when i came back to land the biggest challenge was integrating that and it continues to be a challenge. It's something I strive for and I will strive for for the rest of my life yeah. to try to embody the ocean's love mm. in its demands and its generosity and embody that in how I show up for others. Mm. What, what an incredible lesson. Yeah.
I love that so much and deeply resonate. And yeah, actually on that, before we talk about part two, which you're, you're gearing up to, to embark on, just anything you want to share? Because I know you've really made this a mission to, to share those leadership lessons, to share these lessons of human resilience, um, as well as the significance of the ocean, um, leaning on her as a teacher and in so many ways. So yeah, curious if there's anything you want to share about this interim period, you know, how you have been integrating this, not only for yourself, but for the audiences of people that you speak to, for the teams you're engaging with. We met at an ocean summit and conference too, and you're deepening this relationship with ocean conservation. So, yeah. Well, when I came back from the ocean, I realized I had learned many lessons that are relevant, not just for someone to do an expedition, but I believe we all have an ocean to cross. Mm. Something in our lives that seems too great to even bother attempting, to even admit to ourselves that we want to do it. We all have that ocean. Mm -hmm. And my mission personally is to inspire people to find their ocean and the courage to cross it. Mm. And so I give what I call Tez Talk keynotes to to audiences of all different types, sometimes schools, sometimes CEOs Mm. and everyone in between. And offer them lessons that I've learned from this journey to and across the ocean mm-hmm. so that people can find their inner athlete and fulfill their dreams. Mm. So that's that's something I, I love doing and, and weave that into the storytelling as well. Yeah. Is when I'm on the ocean, even though I'm I'm remote and isolated, I'm sending back photos and videos and blogs yeah. to followers online cool. so they can tune in, follow the story, and that's another place to, to help people feel that connection to the ocean and what we can learn and do with it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, with that, can you share more about, yeah, what is this part two? What are you embarking on this journey from Hawaii to Australia? This is the longer part, no? And yeah, how is ocean conservation a part of this? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this November, I'm embarking on a world's first attempt to row 5,000 miles from Hawaii to Australia, Hmm. solo and nonstop. And my goal is to finish the expedition in 115 days, but it could take me up to six months. Whoa. And so in this crossing, I will be, uh, it it has many different challenges that the first road didn't have. There's navigating across the equator where there's counter currents and and, and, uh, thunderstorms Mm. in the intertropical convergence zone. Mm. Uh, We also, it's El Nino, which affects trade winds. Trade winds can slow or even reverse. And so there are a number of wild cards in this expedition that make it impossible to say how long it will take Yeah. because the, I just simply don't know, will I end up in a stretch of time where the winds are blowing me backwards for a month? Don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then navigating around reefs and atolls in the island nation states and then the Coral Sea and then hopefully landing in Cairns, Australia, in March or possibly April of 2024. And the the mission here, when I was in my first expedition, it felt amazing, of course, to raise these scholarship funds for the United World Colleges. Mm-hmm. That was something I always wanted to do and in solidarity with Black Lives Matter, dedicated those scholarship funds to students of color to diversify the American students who get to go to these incredible schools. Mm. And was really grateful for the support of of, of followers and backers from around the world to raise 77 grand for those scholarships. And I also felt like there was more that I wanted to do for the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so that's the motivation here with the, with the second expedition. It'll be raising funds and action to help solve ocean plastic. Mm. Because in that first row, even though at times the people nearest to me were in the International Space Station, every day on that row I saw Whoa. plastic. 
and debris and signs of humans on land mm. who are thousands of miles away, but we're having a huge impact on our oceans. Yeah. And so as I do this next expedition, I'm, I'll be gathering a bunch of data for Scripps, for Seakeepers International, um, and a few other research partners so we can better understand the impact of microplastics on ecology, the impact of climate change on wildlife, mm. um, and at the same time sharing the story live to raise funds to help stop ocean plastic by building river barriers that catch plastic before, before it flows to sea in the most polluted regions of the world. Amazing. Yeah, and something that you shared too there, Tez, just so many of us don't have the privilege or opportunity to, to be on the ocean, to experience the ocean, to witness the ocean. So a lot of these challenges are very invisible and you're, you have this very unique front row seat <laughs> that you're about to have for, for maybe six months or longer. And, um, and that's so incredible. You're able to then, you know, share that, those eyes with the rest of the world in, in a really deep and meaningful, actionable way. Um, but yeah, I just want to call that out. You're in Colorado. I'm in Colorado. We couldn't be farther <laughs> from the ocean. So many people never get that chance to have such an intimate relationship. And so, um, that's such a significant way to, to share this as an offering. Um, and yeah, and with that, I mean, however you'd like to share from a personal note too, just what what this trip beyond the ocean action and the brilliant, you know, community building, um, what does this mean for for you? Like, what are you, how is this, you know, such an exciting offering? But yeah, in your own personal journey, is there, if there's anything you want to share about the significance of this. I find that to be a very hard question in this moment, yeah. uh, simply because I'm about two months from the expedition. And yeah. as it gets closer, um, I have increasing trepidation and fear around it. It's terrifying. Um, yeah. yeah, that's real. I'm excited. I'm excited. I It's more a matter of trusting the intuition that I had when I was on the ocean in the first row. Right. That it's worth doing. Um, that I will enjoy it. Uh, I have no intention of being a martyr um, yeah. of suffering for some common good. That's not the plan here. This is about yeah. like, what is a win-win-win? This is an incredible experience that I get to have. Um, and I'm trying to remind myself of that, but the, the experience on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis right now as I get ready is much more an experience of like overwhelm and fear about how much uh, how much there is to do and then the various risks involved in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I know that this is my path and like, yeah. I wouldn't ever forgive myself if I decide, if I caved into the fear and, and didn't do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I know I need to, but it's definitely challenging me to level up a lot at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for being real and being vulnerable. I think that's well that's what ocean love is all about anyways and um yeah and it feels like you're putting a lot of your own tools to work right this literally being your ocean to cross that you're yeah. gearing yourself yeah. up for well we're all cheering yeah. you on and sending love <laughs> i know there's like there are gonna be a lot of letters that are sent to you that you're gonna bring this love with you um but yeah just a call out to the ocean love community to just send some love to tez some support so you feel us um thank you yeah, yeah i super appreciate that yep friends and family are writing letters that'll be sealed that i can read at sea in the hard moments and yeah feel connected to the people that are all around the world and the other thing that puts wind in my sails is donations it feels like people are cheering yeah. me on and I, I felt that in the first row and 
things felt impossible. Having the, having that purpose that's bigger than yourself. If, if I was rowing across an ocean just for my own benefit, right. I would give up. Yeah. It's too fucking hard, yeah. you know? But when I'm doing it for the benefit of others as well, then I find that extra level of sometimes it's discipline and drive and putting your head down and doing the thing that hurts. And sometimes it's reminding myself to reorient to the parts of this that I love, the parts of it that drew me to it, the moments of mm -hmm. beauty like I shared. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the tool is called for at the moment, the ability to focus on that tool really ties back to a mission that's bigger than yourself. And in this case, it's that ocean plastic piece. And so yeah. if you're listening to this, to this episode right now and want to support, go to unitedworldchallenge.org and you can cheer me on for just a dollar a month. And $1 prevents 30 bottles from flowing to the ocean. And uh, together we aim to stop millions and millions of bottles and millions and millions of pounds of plastic from flowing to sea. Amazing. Yeah, thanks for that, Taz. And what, what a worthy effort. I mean, not only is that for ocean conservation and the health of our ecosystems, but fundamentally, the plastic pollution crisis is a human rights and public health crisis. And there's so many ways this will deeply impact all beings on this earth. And so, um, yeah, a good, a good reminder for that greater cause. Um, yeah, how else can we follow you? Or just if people are tuning in, you mentioned there will be videos and things going out. Is that all through the same channel or website? Absolutely. It's all under United World Challenge. So follow United World Challenge on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. Visit unitedworldchallenge.org. And there will also be occasional updates from Tez Steinberg on LinkedIn. So connect, cool. follow there. Um, and we'll have a, we'll, you'll be in for a wild ride far <laughs> yeah. away, but getting the, getting the daily feed of what's happening in the ocean with one man and his little rowboat. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Well, yeah, thank you so, so much, Tez, for being a part of the Ocean Love community. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll all be with you and sending our love and hugs as you're on this journey for, for all of us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cassia. Thank you, Ocean Lovers, for tuning in. And a huge shout out to our supporters and sponsors. Deep gratitude to CRDC, the Center for Regenerative Design and Collaboration, and their innovative approach to taking truly intersectional action, addressing both social and environmental challenges. They are tackling plastic and waste issues while also offering solutions for affordable housing and re-envisioning the built environment. The work that they are doing is truly based within a local context and taking place-based action. Uh, check them out at crdc.global. Another gratitude to Anthropogenic, an amazing platform that's offering real-time monitoring and verification of climate financing. Did you know that some climate financing is actually going to support projects that create more carbon emissions? Anthropogenic is cutting through that to make sure that it's honest and effective and trustworthy. And you can learn more at anthropogenic.com. And finally, gratitude to our NGO sponsor, YES. They support outstanding leaders around the world through powerful networking, skills sharing, and community building events. You can find out more at yesworld.org.